Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home services marketplace. And Angie is here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled professionals to get the job done well. My son needed a major yard cleanup at his new home. We went straight to the Angie website and found a bunch of local, reliable, and affordable pros to handle the job, and one did pronto. Angie can help you find the best price for your project. Angie lets you request and compare quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. Angie has cost guides that tell you what others have paid for similar projects, both nationally and in your area. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. The app and website are free to use. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show. We are recording on Friday, August 20th. I am uh, Jack Fowler, the host. I'm the director of the Center for Civil Society at American Philanthropic and the author of its new weekly email newsletter, Civil Thoughts. It's uh, five o'clock here on the East Coast, early afternoon where Victor is out in the Central Valley. That means we've seen one of the things we're going to talk about today is Joe Biden's I think, kind of pathetic speech about Afghanistan. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the issue of refugees. Should some of the leaders, these defense and uh, military leaders of our country resign, given the poor performance? And another topic to talk about today is the insurrection that wasn't. The FBI finds no evidence. Victor Davis Hanson, the namesake of our show is the Martin and Ely Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution, the Wayne and Marsha Busk Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. In just a few weeks, he will also be the author of what is sure to be a best-selling book, The Dying Citizen, How Progressive Elites, Tribalism, and Globalization Are Destroying the Idea of America. You should order that. And here's how you should order it. You should go to victorhanson.com. That's Victor's revived bulked up, groovy, <laughs> it is groovy, Victor, <laughs> website. <laughs> where I'm feeling a, groovy. <laughs> there's a lot of original content there. By the way, it's also now premium. So you're, you should go there and you should subscribe because the content is just spectacular and there's a lot of it. But there's also a link there to The Dying Citizen. It's out in early October. So uh, order it now and you'll get it as soon as it comes out. And everyone's going to be talking about it when it comes out. So it's good for you to have it and read it. Victor, let's start off uh, talking about the president's speech today. And we'll do that right after this important message. Folks, we're sponsored today by Donors Trust, the tax-friendly way to preserve your charitable giving. In times of crisis, those with a giving spirit and a desire to build up civil society find ways to be helpful. And that's when it's good to have a charitable resource ready to deploy 
when they're needed most. Donors Trust offers donor advised funds or giving accounts. You can use these funds as your own charitable investment account and manage your charitable giving in a way that's smart, tax advantaged, aligned with your values, and private. Donors Trust clients are using their funds to support charities helping their local communities while also using their giving account to simultaneously support think tanks and liberty-minded organizations that believe our constitutional rights shouldn't get lost in a time of emergency. Now is the time to take a closer look at Donors Trust and join their community of liberty-minded donors by opening a donor-advised fund. Go to DonorsTrust.org slash JustNews for the ultimate survival guide to charitable giving and learn how a donor advised fund can preserve your ability to give to the charities you love. That's DonorsTrust.org slash Just News. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show recording on Friday, August 20th. The president uh, came out with the vice president, with the secretary of state, both wearing masks, quite distant from him. Not saying a word. I think uh, maybe Kamala Harris was blinking out Morse code, 25th Amendment. That's possible. But uh, the president talked. He took five questions uh, from a mildly aggressive, in part, media and then left. There was a lot said. A lot of it seemed to be lies. Victor, what did you make of this appearance today by Joe Biden? Well, you know, I can remember at six years old in an old black and white TV watching a press conference by Dwight Eisenhower. I can remember JFK. I can remember, you know, we're not going to send American boys over to Vietnam to do the work of Vietnamese boys. That's what LBJ did. And Nixon, you know, Nixon, I'm no crook. And I heard, you know, Jimmy Carter and the Malay speech of Jimmy of, uh, I mean, Jerry Ford and the wind button speech and Ronald Reagan time for choosing earlier and the rehash of that when he ran. I can remember the George H.W. Bush. I can remember Bill Clinton. I can remember George W. And I can remember Barack Obama and Donald Trump. I have never heard a perform- seen, heard or seen a performance that was more depressing because Everything he said was either incoherent or absurd. Let me just give you an example. He said, well, you know, people said, well, can Americans, why can't they get to the airport? It's too, they can get to the airport. Oh, it might be a little crowded. Just show your passport. So we're going to think that 10,000 people are going to listen to that and they're going to get in this, get in their little, you know, Jeep Wagoneer and say, come on, kids, hop in. We're just going to drive down the boulevard. It's going to be a little rowdy, kind of like the county fair. And then we'll just be waved right into the airport. Are they going to try that? I don't think so. I think it'd be very dangerous. And then what was so absurd about it was, first of all, the press acted like they were going to be journalists, but they basically lobbed softball questions. But even with that, what we didn't learn was, A, why did you pull out 2,500 troops in the case of air troops from Bagram at night and you left 10,000 diplomatic and contractor personnel as well as nearly 100,000 of our so-called translators and supporters in the Afghan community? Why did you leave $50 billion if it was so inevitable and well-planned that you left $50 billion, billion dollars of Humvees, M4s, RP, our version of an RPG, machine gun, you name it, drones, 
jet aircraft, Apaches. That's going to be the haven and terrorist mark for every jihadist for the next generation. Why didn't you tell the NATO allies they have 8,000 troops? Why don't you say we're coordinating this? We're all working together. That's what you advertise yourself, Joe, that you were going to build back better as an internationalist. Why didn't you or the infamous now General Milley or Secretary Austin, why can't you just have a little inventory? You had seven months. Mr. Smith lives on you know, this boulevard, Miss, Mrs. Jones here. What was so hard about that? They have no inventory. They don't know how many people are even there. And then when you said, well, my whole point was to get the troops out and I got them out. I'm thinking, no, you didn't. You pulled out 25 and now you've got 6,000 people who are eating K rations or, you know, mm -hmm. military meals while they're sleeping on cement. So everything about it was a distortion of reality. And then he gets angry when people ask questions. Everybody said Donald Trump was, you know, a tweet mean, but Donald Trump never, I mean, he would just be blunt to reporters, but he wasn't, wasn't this, you know, I don't know if our listeners have ever seen uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I think it was a brilliant movie by Quentin Tarantino, but there's a scene where Bruce Dern wakes up and Brad Pitt wakes him up and he's senile and he doesn't know what's going on. And he starts screaming and yelling at his benefactor, Brad Pitt. And that's exactly the way Biden is. He gets angry. He has these senior moments. He storms off. And I, when you look at all of it and I just that you think, wow, this was one of the most dishonest journalistic feats in history to hide this person's cognitive mm -hmm. challenges and to let him campaign from a basement. And every time he sneezed, it was Cicero doing this. And every time he went on a mind freeze, it was Pericles doing this or Lincoln. And that's not what we were told. And now we're, we're reaping the, the, uh, the wages of that. And it's going to be scary because it's going to be, it's, as I said before, it's geometric. It's getting worse. And my God, when he talks about Afghanistan the way that he does, that I inherited this, but it was inevitable, but it had to happen this way, but it was somebody's fault that it did happen this way. But I got... I have to follow Trump, but I've never really followed Trump. I mean, you, you don't know what to make. What, 2,500 dead, their families, 20,000 wounded, their families. Did it, and then he's telling them, well, you know, suck it up. I always said it was a waste of time and treasure and blood, and it had to end this way, so get over it. That's basically the message he gave. Well, it was, and the tone. And this reminds me of things we've discussed on this podcast over the last 18 months, this tough guy Joe ram the rosary beads down your throat, uh, corn <laughs> pop, uh, etc. That in in the not today's talk, but the speech or whatever the hell it was earlier in the week, where there just seemed to be this rank callousness, and I and then almost it's like a perverse enjoyment that he was doing what was being done. This is like too bad, deal with it. And this is an example of him being a tough guy again in a, in a weird way with, you know, uh, uh, national security is the price we're going to pay and the deaths of thousands of people. But I sense that. I don't know if. Yeah, uh, I mean, it was it was I'm going to cut off some chain and beat Corn Papa with a head with it. It was I slammed the, uh, the guy who insulted my daughter. I slammed his head on a lunch counter when I was 12. Oh, I told Trump, you know, you were in high school with me, I'd take you behind the gym and beat the crap out of you. So that's what he does. So it's very important for our listeners and for the country to remember, this is a myth. 
that this man was a kind, sober, and judicious person. This person was reckless. He was dishonest. He was a plagiarist. He was a prevaricator. He was a liar. He was mean-spirited. No person who has ever been president has said so many racially offensive things as mm-hmm. Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. That's a fact. The way he characterized Barack Obama, called him journalist junkie, you're not black, a whole audience of successful professionals put you all back in chains, the donut this, you name it. Hunter Biden with the N-word and uh, hatred of Asians. I'm so sick of this guy. And the idea that good old Joe from Biden has a, cu- a couple of senior moments is that no, bad old J- Joe Biden from Scranton is getting worse right. because he's incoherent as well as mean-spirited. He was very mean-spirited. And then the idea that yeah, I think everybody is just so sick of being, I, I think they can stomach the lectures and the sanctimonious finger pointing from General Milley and Austin. But then when they're incompetent, the natural question that's begged is, well, if you're rooting out white supremacists and you want to understand white rage and critical race theory and General Austin's going around the Asian community abroad and telling us that the anti-Asian epidemic of violence, it's part of a bigger problem, i.e. white supremacy. Well, then why don't you just first, before you do any of that, just ensure that you know how many people are in Afghanistan. Just take an inventory. Just make sure, you know, I don't know, we have all these sophisticated multi-billion dollar contracts. How about some kind of plan to get about, what, four miles to the airport from downtown? Just, you know, have a corridor? Maybe that wouldn't be too hard, but they can't do their job. They're like the airline executive from American who lectures Texas about how racist it is to have an ID. And then he tells everybody, you know, I don't really, you're racist. And then his planes go in the wrong directions, hunting for fuel. And that's where we're at now. I think this wokeness is, this is really clarifying wokeness. Right. Because it really shows you that it's, that it's either a distraction and it has consequences, right? Or it's a cover-up for pre-existing incompetence, or both. Yeah. Well, on the, on, let's stick with the incompetence of Millie and Austin. And uh, I, as bad as, in my view, Biden's uh, speeches this week, when Austin got up uh, the other day and, uh, and that joint press conference he had, I felt like, wow, this is a nadir for America, almost in modern America of hopelessness. You know, we can't say, we can't, we can't save our own citizens. Victor, did you yeah, I mean, see I, that? And I remember ahead. when John McCain chewed him out because he was clueless about Iraq and he didn't have a very distinguished record when he was an active general. And then he went to work for Raytheon and then he got hired from Raytheon to go straight. So I don't see any sterling reputation or credentials, and that's borne out by his performance. It's all political. He's been deceptive and disingenuous from the beginning. He never tells the truth. He's bought into this idea that the people who are dying at 73 to 76% on the battlefield, i.e. the white middle class, is somehow full of supremacists and racists. And then he tells us we're going to have to have proportional representation and look like we are. Why don't the dead look like we are? Just Mm. have a quota. Oh, you know what? White middle class that I don't like and think that you're all white supremacists. Uh, pull back from that Afghan airport. because right. you've, you've died in sufficient percentages. Right. And let somebody else have a crack at dying. And, you know, when he said that, it was almost, well, why would I know? How do you know how many people? <laughs> I don't know. 
can you go and get them and ask? Well, I don't think so. We don't have that capability. Will you, as if, why ask me? It's their problem, not mine. And then right. when you, you collate that with what Jake Sullivan and Blinken have said the last week, it's basically, well, we told them to leave and they didn't want to leave. So it's every man for himself. I'm thinking, no, you didn't tell them to leave. You told them that this, the Afghan national forces and you were going to provide calm. And you knew, if you told them what you knew from your intelligence report, they would have left. But you hid it from them. So, you know, this really begs another question. That is, all these people that gave us these sanctimonious lectures about Donald Trump's tweeting and his uncouthness. Mm -hmm. Okay, maybe he was unpresidential. But look at his issues on the plan to get out of Afghanistan versus this plan or the border that was secure or the energy independence with Anwar and Keystone going back online and new federal leasing or a stable crime and punishment system or an economy that was not inflating at an annual 6% or more. And so once you empower the left, you get this other stuff. You don't even get good old Joe Biden from Scranton who doesn't tweet in the bargain. You get a mean-spirited bully, bully boy who insults people gratuitously. You know, he really he has something with the Afghan army. I mean, we're not talking about nearly 40 million Afghans. And I don't like the idea that they folded and they dis- dissipated. But as I wrote in a column, they put their finger in the air and they said, I'll take my chances we're surviving with the Dark Age Taliban, right. counting on the postmodern Americans to provide air support. Yeah. Victor, let's talk about that column, which you wrote for American Greatness and typically we discuss uh, those piece, American greatness pieces on the other podcast I did with you, the classicist, but this is called ripples of Kabul. And uh, you talked about uh, wrote here in this piece. And I do encourage our listeners to go to American greatness, to read the ent- entire piece. Victor, I, two things. One, I'd, I'd like you to expand on what are the ripples of what ha- happened this week. And then, let me just read the very last paragraph. And if you, it's so matter of fact and so dead on, I don't know how, how you could expand on it, but you wrote, if Joe Biden were a Republican, the current Democratic House would long ago have impeached him. After the Kabul catastrophe, even the bipartisan Senate might well have convicted him and both would have been right to have done so. So Victor, if you'd like to talk about that and some of the other consequences and ramifications yeah. of uh, our dismal performance as America this week. Well, think of what the new definition of impeachment is, thanks to the Democratic House. It's the Constitution says, you know, treason and bribery and high crimes and misdemeanors. There's always been a little mystery of high crimes and misdemeanors, but they impeached Donald Trump on one Ukrainian phone call and they said he abused his power and he bypassed or he went, he did not treat Congress well. And then the second one was he incited a riot, essentially. And that was impeachable. And they impeached him. Now, they didn't convict him. Joe Biden systematically, after taking an oath that he would faithfully execute the laws of the United States, systematically destroyed federal immigration laws we knew, know it. Right. He right. told 2 million people all over Latin America and Mexico who are anticipated to come, and many of them have come, that they're not going to face any enforcement of immigration. They're not going to be deported. They're not going to be subject to any, you know, 
punitive action. Their refugee status will be automatic. They'll be caught and released if need be. That's an impeachable offense. And then this thing where he deliberately misinformed the American people and then he pulled out U.S. troops and yanked them out for cheap political gain and left 10,000 Americans who were doing their job to aid the American effort. He left them completely vulnerable. And then he lied about it. And he continues to lie and say that people can go to the airport without worry. According to the Democrats' own standard, this is an impeachable offense. As far as the stages of ripples or repercussions, the immediate or what are the immediate? The immediate are we have about 10,000 people in there. And the $64,000 question is, what are they going to do with them? Are they going to take hostages? We know that they got the, the vice commander now of Taliban by the Bo Bergdahl release. One hostage got them four kingpins, one of mm -hmm. whom is directing in a large capacity their own strategy. But immediately they have 50 billion dollars of everything from, you know, machine guns and F M4s, uh, M16 variants, drones, craft, helicopters, trucks, everything, light armor. Okay, so that's going to be the terrorist mart of the world. Every jihadist who wants to, you know, in jubilation at the jihadist wave will go to Afghanistan with impunity. They can buy cheap weapons. They can be trained. It'll be a haven in the sense it was before 9-11, but with two important distinctions. It's got a lot of lethal equipment that it didn't have before 9-11. And it is resonant. They are giddy. And it's going to be make something like ISIS resurrection after the pullout in Iraq by Obama looked like child's play. That's the immediate. The short term is that people in the area, Iran especially, but also the Palestinians, if, if we had a war in the Middle East because Joe Biden restored aid to the Palestinians, divorced himself from publicly from the Netanyahu government and begged Iran to enter uh, nuclear negotiations again, just think what this will do. This will empower every renegade regime there. There will be no more fumes of the Abrams Accord. And people will take unnecessary risk in Iran. They'll think, you know what? America won't do anything, so why not try this? Long term, in the wider world, I think as you look I tried to look at English language Chinese papers the last two days, and they, they are giddy too. They, they, they're making the argument again and again to the Taiwanese and to a lesser extent the Japanese. If you think you're going to challenge us and you're going to pick a fight with us, i.e. we're going to pick a fight and blame it on you. But nonetheless, if you think the Americans are, come to, are going to come to help you, they're about as reliable as you saw on TV in Afghanistan. And Russia will come to the same conclusion and North Korea will as well, and Iran. Now, a lot of people say, yeah, Victor, but look at the 1975 Saigon embarrassment. Look at the 84 barracks in Lebanon embarrassment when we skedaddled after the 83 bombing. Look at the Iranian revolution earlier in 1980. This is temporary. We're the biggest economy with a strong... That is true, but the country is not the same as it was 40 and even 50 years ago. It's much more divided. It is much more incompetent. It is much less meritocratic. And we have a president, unlike JFK or Nixon or even Ford or Carter or Reagan, that is not in control of his faculties. And he has a series of blunders. 
as we talked about, in the economy, the border, oil production, critical race theory, all of this stuff. And so I think a lot of people are going to make the mistake and think the United States that has so much power is afraid to use it and defend its interest and allies that they're going to do something very stupid. And then we'll see what Joe Biden does. But weakness is very provocative. And when you don't apprise rivals of what you're capable of and what you will do if they provoke your interest, then it gets very dangerous. And Joe Biden knows that. And that's why his insecurities are masked by this talk, uh, talk, talk. It's, you know, he carries a twig and he talks loudly and everybody's tired of it abroad and knows what he is. And it's very scary. It's frightening. Victor, there's a headline of a uh, commentary piece out today by Noah Rothman. It's titled, The Biden White House is Betting that America is Finished. And it quotes a, it's from a Reuters story, but then from, from a piece in The Atlantic that tries to get to the, like, what the hell are these people in the White House thinking? What's, is this calculator? Is this just ineptitude? And they're implying there's some degree of calculation here. So the reporter, Peter Nicholas, Writing in the Atlantic, let me just read this quickly. The administration is hoping that grisly images of desperate Afghans clinging to a C-17 fade, replaced by collective relief that no more Americans will die in a murky, brutal war that spanned two decades and four presidencies, according to people close to Biden with whom Nicholas spoke. The, the Afghan crisis will be a distant, perhaps even pleasant that's that's perhaps even pleasant memory by the 2022 midterm elections, much less the 2024 presidential race. Indeed, the insiders Nicholas spoke with framed the Afghanistan crisis as another myopic fixation of the Washington bubble, one that average voters outside the beltway will subordinate to pocketbook issues and the ongoing pandemic. There's more to this too, Victor. But, <laughs> well, uh, if you look at every, that's a very funny thing to say, because if you look at other issues, <laughs> yeah, they, right. they, they pull worse, even the signature issue. And remember what I mean by signature. Joe Biden was given a secure border. He was given a stable foreign policy. He was given a pinup demand, recovering, booming economy. He was given 17 million people vaccinated. And what did he do? He All he had to do was appropriate them and in typical Biden fashion, plagiarize and claim that he thought them up. And he couldn't do that, except on one case, the COVID. He didn't really undo any of Trump's policies. He just took them and he rebranded them and said, I did. Of course, he lied, as Biden does, and said there were no vaccinations when he entered office. But with all the others, he overturned them. And they all poll below 50%. There's fear on the border. There's worry about inflation. There's anger about critical race theory and cancel culture. So is he saying, this author, is Nichols is saying, well, he doesn't really have to worry about the bad optics out of Afghanistan because all these other things are going so well. No, well, he's not. actually, he's saying this is what the folks in the White House think. I oh, mean, well, uh, I mean, yeah. that's what I mean, though. That's yeah, what right. he's saying, that these people think that. I mean, they're right. absolutely insane yeah. because another thing about Americans are, Americans are very strange people, and they're rational, and they, their head tells them that this thing was a disaster being there for more than five or six years, and they're glad we're out. But they, they're very keen on being compassionate and humanitarian, and they do believe in duty and honor. And this thing is shameful. This thing's full right. of lies. This thing is full of betrayal. 
This thing is uh, resonates weakness and fear and terror, and they don't like that. And they don't like to be lectured by Joe Biden that the fact that they do feel this thing way, that there's something wrong with him. Because that press conference was accusatory. It was like he was shaking his finger. It's ah, I don't have anything to apologize hard. You know, it was like, you know, I used to go to my cousin's house and there was a little corner house with green lush ryegrass and we'd cut across the corner on our bikes and this guy would come out and say get off my grass and that's what joe biden was cranky and mean and they don't like that they don't like that they like bill they would prefer bill clinton's insincere biting his lip if necessary or or donald trump's tough this is the way it is yeah food as it may be but not this not this kind of accusatory whiny snarky and that, I think that press conference was a disaster. Yeah. And I think even the media had started to ask questions and they just took a collective, for, you know, they looked at each other and they thought, you know what, we better just tone it down because if we keep asking this stuff, we're not going to have a democratic party. And what do we do then? So they didn't really ask, where are the 10,000 uh, Americans? Do you know where they are? Or why did you, you leave all the equipment behind? Or why did you leave in the dead of night? And so they pulled back because they were they were knowing what the the public perception of this would be. Yeah, it's afterwards uh, in another press conference that uh, I, I don't remember her name. She's the national security reporter for Fox News. Was uh, Jennifer Griffin? After. I think maybe. Yeah, yeah, she was going after the the uh, spokesman for the for the um, Department of Defense, and bring, <laughs> oh. there, there were four lies. I, I mean, there were probably ten lies, but at the, it's Biden said allies have not been critical of his actions. Al Qaeda is gone. <laughs> uh, safe passage is ensured, and that America has no interest in Afghanistan. And it, it's just I know uh, I thought, I was laughing when he when he said that Al Qaeda is gone. That's what Obama basically <laughs> said when they were JVs and returned to JV status and. Uh, Syria and Iraq. And then as far as the allies were okay with it, remember the German foreign minister said, this is the worst defeat the West has experienced. And the British are now fighting about in parliament and and blaming Biden. And they all agree on one thing that he's a nincompoop and we have no strategic interest there. And I'm thinking, Hmm, we have nuclear Pakistan right next door. Right. And we have a lot of drugs sent to the United States from there. And this is a terrorist haven that launched an attack that killed 3,000 Americans. Yeah, we have strategic interest there. And he always talks about uh, forces over the horizon. And you think, wow, they're just a few miles offshore. There is no sea coast. And when he right. says they're just over the horizon, he's talking about a carrier way down, you know, in the Persian Gulf and making those long flights over hostile territory. And so he has no force over the horizon. That's like saying the people who were trapped on Benghazi, it was no problem. We had a force over the horizon. We had a force right right in Sicily and they didn't come. And so, you know, and John Kirby, the the Pentagon, I feel sorry for him. Remember, he cut his teeth on the Benghazi lies about what really happened. He was, I think, State one of the State Department, one of them, uh, or maybe it was Pentagon then, but everything he said about Benghazi was questionable. He doesn't look like he enjoys it. I kind of feel sorry no. for him. His face <laughs> right. is pain. It's like, God, I do not want to play the role of Baghdad Bob one more day. Well, Victor, we have a little bit of time left, and I would like to spend most of it. I think you were talking about this uh, news that came out today about the uh, the insurrection that wasn't. But before we do that, one uh, and again, we're recording uh, this episode of the Traditionalist on uh, Friday, August twentieth. 
just a quick thing, if you don't mind, about America taking refugees, Afghan interpreters, whatever way these people helped us over the years, them and their families, some consternation about this. I may have misheard something on Fox last night, but kind of grimacing. I don't know if we should be doing this, essentially. But uh, what's your position on our obligation as a nation to these individuals and bringing them them here as refugees? Well, in a normal sane world, we would do something like the following. We'd send them to Diego Garcia or even Okinawa or somewhere. We'd have a, a humane large camp, and then we would systematically process them. We would have a family come in, and we would say, show me your documents of when you translated, who you work for. We'd do a couple of background checks, get on the cell phone, say, hey, remember this guy when you were stationed? In? And we could do that. And then in hundreds and two hundreds, we would send them to pre-planned areas of the United States. But we're talking about administration, Jack, that in the middle of a pandemic, for cheap political purposes, is going to let in 2 million people without vaccinations, without mm-hmm. COVID testing, without legality, without English, without skills, without right. capital, and they're going to let them into the United States, and we're going to turn this thing over to them? It, it's going to be an ungodly disaster. So yes, we have to get some of them out, but we have to have a process because we don't know how many are Taliban, how many are Al-Qaeda sympathizers, how many never worked at all for the Americans, how many have an infectious disease. We don't know any of that. And yet we're going to let them in. Okay, I have I agree with that if you want to let 80,000 in. I don't know, I want to let 150 or 200 or a million in. But uh, every question now for the next, I hope not, three and a half years, because I think, well, I shouldn't say I hope not, because Kamala Harris would be, would be worse, I think. But as long as Joe Biden is president, every one of these questions is going to have to think, well, we can't really debate the merits of the case. We have to talk about the implementation. And it can't be implemented because this guy is completely incompetent. And it really raises this question about the CV skill sets of this Washington, New York nexus, uh, Blinken, Sullivan, Wendy Sherman telling the, the Taliban, this is personal with me. Okay, Wendy, you know, we've talked about that before. She gets in a fighter plane and goes over to Afghanistan to show how personal it is. So they, they have a weird idea of themselves that because they went to Oxford or they went to Cambridge or Harvard or Yale or Stanford, they're somehow wise and experienced and people listen to them just because in prep school, people thought they raised their hand all the time. Right. It's, it's pathetic. It's absolutely pathetic. They, Based on what their record of achievement or lack of, they don't deserve any respect. And they're doing some things that are really dangerous to a lot of Americans. A lot, And they're insulting to a lot of Americans. And they have no idea they act in such a way or they're perceived in such a way. Victor, let's take the last chunk of time on today's program and, and shift back home to the insurrection that wasn't. So here's a Reuters story published today, and I'll read the very beginning of it. The FBI has found scant evidence that the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol was the result of an organized plot to overturn the presidential election result, according to four current and former law enforcement officials. Though federal officials have arrested more than 570 alleged participants, the FBI at this point believes The violence was not centrally coordinated by far-right groups or prominent supporters of then-President Trump, 
according to the sources, who have been either directly involved or briefed regularly on the wide-ranging investigations, et cetera, et cetera. Victor, there's no question something really bad happened on January 6th. I, I didn't like to see my capital attacked, but it was not an insurrection then. Uh, this is kind of news like the sun is rising in the east. Okay, yeah. But uh, to a lot of people who have staked a significant amount of moral superiority and capital into the fact that this was an insurrection, this comes as unwelcome news. What are your thoughts on this? I think everybody knew what was going to happen, and we knew what, because there was no evidence it ever was. And yet, think about what the FBI just said. The FBI just essentially said that the entire premise that Donald Trump led an insurrection to take over the government was false. And he was impeached on that, and he was tried as a private citizen in the Senate. That was all a lie. It was just like the lies of Hunter Biden's laptop being rushing disinformation that 50 former CIA and intelligence operatives swore to us, just like the 22 months and $40 million of Robert Mueller that there was Russian collusion. It was like, that was a lie. And what else did he say? He said that all of those military officers and people in the permanent state and the transition and the beginning few weeks of the Biden administration was a lie when they what stationed 20 to 25,000 troops throughout Washington. They put barriers or put barbed wire to prevent an insurrection. And why did we know that was a lie without having a corrupt FBI tell us that? We knew that because when the headlines blared out on January 7th, arms insurrection kills five, that we didn't believe that then because nobody ever had a gun. Nobody was ever arrested for possession of a gun. Nobody was ever arrested using a gun. There weren't five people killed. There was one person killed. And the one person killed was a Trump supporter. And she was unarmed. And she, Ashley Babbitt was a military veteran. And she was guilty of feloniously entering a building. And for that, she was executed, shot in the neck. And people were standing right in front of her with SWAT gear on. And they have apparently did not think that she posed an existential threat. She was not George Floyd over 6'1", 220, who was uh, resisting arrest after passing a counterfeit check. She was a tiny, petite, fairly harmless woman going through illegally a window, and she was shot. And we do not know the name of the officer. We don't know any of the context or the official inquiry notes or records. We don't have 14,000 hours purportedly of video. We were told that Brian Sicknick was murdered. He was laid in state. Nancy Pelosi used his death for a cheap political purpose. And we found out that he was not bashed in the head by an irate Trump supporter. He was not sprayed in the face with bear spray that created a lethal. He was probably, sadly, and tragically, he died of a stroke. Maybe he was stressed out the day before. But that was a lie. And almost everything, there was nobody charged with insurrection or very few or racketeering. There was no blueprint. And they were so desperate for a blueprint, Jack, they said a Lego set that they confiscated of the White House, of the Capitol. Mm. That was proof. It was pathetic. Mm. And yet it's all a lie. And you know what's even worse? Nobody says, no, we're sorry. There are people still in preventive detention, as it is, that are just sitting in jail for seven months. And then this is all juxtaposed to 120 days of riot, right. arson, thievery, murder, shooting, 
28 dead, $2 billion in damage, 14,000 arrested, destroying a federal courthouse, attacking a precinct, trying to light it up with the police inside. So this is what worries everybody, that we're almost like we woke up in a strange planet that's not Earth and not America. Well, so for the FBI work, yeah. to tell us that, it was just, I mean, it was a relief, but it was sort of like, well, why did you ever, why were you ever complicit in this whole scam? Right. And they were complicit in it. And this is also what sparked... And other scams, too. Yeah, so. I mean, it was General Milley who said he wanted to understand white rage, and he wanted to understand yeah. white supremacy. And it, the whole subtext was the capital insurrection, he said. Right. And so, gosh, these people are just... They can't get up in the morning without lying, and they lie for careerist and selfish purposes at the expense of average people. And, and I don't know, Jack... It, I've been a big supporter of the military, the intelligence agencies, the FBI, law enforcement, and I still am. But when I see this, this systematic disingenuousness, this lying, this self-righteous sanctimony, and all these people with these peacock medals on their breasts, I saw my, I'm not picking on them. I feel bad for him. He looks terrible. He's very stressed out. But I thought to myself, that ribbon is for the victory in Libya. That ribbon is for the smashing success in Afghanistan. That ribbon was for going into Iraq and stabilizing it. And that's what we expect, but that's not true. Well, it's the lying that, and as we just discussed, it, it, it masks incompetence on top of it, which is all the more galling. So. And we've talked on other programs also, Victor, about this is a this is career plans. You know, the, the, so we begin at West Point and up on the board of Raytheon. I mean, there's uh, there's a lot there's a lot of upside it's, on. It's that. not Matthew Ridgeway. It's not him. It's not George Marshall. It's not Hap Arnold. I mean, they may have later on life had company ties and in industry and stuff. It's not Jimmy Doolittle. This generation goes into the military and gets these degrees in academia and then goes, you know, goes to the top and they go into the Washington, New York corridor. And then they end up becoming multimillionaires for defense contractor boards because their expertise on the procurement labyrinth is monetized of the Pentagon. And so that, I mean, that's a, that's a very serious thing to say, but I think it's true. And boy, I, I wish if we could just say, Jack, if you want to be a four star, we want to warn you, you're not going to get a security clearance when you retire. And you're not going to be able to monetize that with winks and nods on CNN. Oh, by the way, you're not going to be able for five years to go join a defense contractor board. Can't do it. And by the way, there is such a thing called the Uniform Code of Military Justice, and we are going to enforce it. And if you violate the tenet that says a retired general who's on a military pension or subject to reactivation in times of crisis, if you disparage the commander-in-chief and you attack your chain of command in the civilian sector, then you're going to be fined or subject to military discipline. If we just said that, I think we'd have a lot different officer corps. Well, Victor, that's about all the time we have, except a little bit more at the end of the programs now. I'd just like to read one today quickly. Uh, some people have kindly leaving five-star reviews on iTunes. We thank you for doing that. If uh, you listen to uh, these podcasts, The Traditionalist, The Classicist, and with the great Sammy Wink, The Culturalist, all under the umbrella of the Victor Davis Hanson Show, please consider leaving a review, five stars, a rating, and if written reviews also. And here's one 
message someone left the other day. It's titled by somebody called Burbank Speaking. Thought I'd lost VDH, but now I'm found. Loved him when I started reading VDH in early 2000s, then National Review, then Classicist, now his own gig or channel or brand or whatever. I marvel at his easy, in-depth mastery of the classics and how deftly and effectively this is used to assess the modern world. Is VDH the inheritor of Bill Buckley's mantle, the intellectual leader of conservatives? He is for me. So we thank you, Burbank Speaking, for uh, uh, writing that and all others that write. We do read them. Victor, thank you very much for this. We want to encourage our listeners to also stay, you know, keep in mind, come find the other, uh, the classicists, the, the culturalists. We're doing three or four podcasts a week now. Even that is insufficient for PDH <laughs> lovers. Yeah. So thanks. Thanks, Jack. And I'm trying, I'm getting a little irate. I understand out of character, perhaps, but what I've been watching in Afghanistan is just maddening. Yeah. So I apologize to our listeners. I don't think they're expecting an apology from you. <laughs> uh, thanks all. We'll be back soon again on The Traditionalist. Thank you. Have you heard of cancer fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and veggies may actually lower, lower your risk of cancer. Hopefully you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. If not, you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is found in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. Will Field of Greens prevent, treat, or cure cancer? No, but it's so powerful, it promises at your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or your money back. I got you 15% off and free rush shipping. Visit fieldofgreens.com. And use the promo code VICTOR, V-I-C-T-O-R, for your discount. That's promo code VICTOR at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com.